Episode 19 of the TJ Martino Podcast is finally here, uh, live from my room, of all places, uh, for the first time. You know, apologize again for the quality not being great, you know. We're still in the in the queue, hanging out, surviving, pushing forward. And I got an awesome guest today uh, to talk about some, you know, some of the stuff. Because in the sports world, even though there isn't a whole lot of sports going on right now, there's still some great stuff going on on TV when it comes to sports. A lot of old games being shown. Uh, uh, you know, the Jordan documentary, uh, The Last Dance, has been awesome so far. We're going to talk some about that. And then obviously uh, the NFL draft, we're, what, a week out from it? Uh, from uh, the results of the NFL draft. So we'll talk some of that with uh, an awesome guest from Glory Sports, Cam Hawkins. Thanks for having me on, man. It's uh, just finished finals today. Happy to relax, unwind, talk some sports with the guy, and uh, let's have, yeah, a, good, let's have just, a good one. <laughs> you know, we're going to talk some sports and probably some other stuff, too. We'll, we'll just go down the rabbit hole, but uh, let's start with the draft. I mean, this was really an interesting draft because, like, first of all, how do you think they executed it? Like, do you think they executed it well under the circumstances of not being, like, in an arena with, you know, a crowd. Yeah, um, so I was actually watching it with one of my friends, and he made a good point, and, you know, I, I think we always we always like the grand stage, like seeing them walk up, pick up the hat, you know, show the jersey and whatnot, but this was a cool aspect to kind of see what different backgrounds each prospect was coming from. I mean, it was a little bit intrusive, you know, having full media teams right. in every prospect's house, but, you know, just from... Seeing, you know, this was like, oh, this was their family living room growing up. Like, you know, this is where you're going. Yeah. And it kind of, it was cool because <clears throat> they they seemed a lot more comfortable. Like, because they're in their own home. Like, mm-hmm. So, like, it was more of like a natural reaction than being like at the draft. Because when you're at the draft, it doesn't really, I feel like it, it, it hits you because like you're at the draft. But like at the same time, like, you're, you know, you're not in your home. You're you're out in, in public and in the front eyes. You can't really get too giddy about it so I felt mm. like it was kind of cool to see people just kind of like go crazy it was kind of reminding me of like when college basketball teams like when they see that they made the tournament mm-hmm. and they're like in the in the room watching the, the game that the that's spo- the team that's supposed to lose like they're cheering against them so that they can make the tournament and then they see that they did and they're all cheering you know it's like that kind of thing like, exactly it was, it was like you know an organic reaction mm-hmm. you know you're in your spot of comfort we're seeing right, that's how right. your family interacted like who's you know who who's your main circle and stuff. So it it was good to see that. Um, I mean, and the, the, honestly, I was so happy. Um, you know, it's, this quarantine was terribly timed in terms of us not being able to see spring college football. But yeah. honestly, NFL, NFL off season is probably one of my peak uh, seasons in sports that I really? just I look forward to. Yeah, I just love. See, seeing... I I like the NBA off season a lot because yeah. there's just so much drama when it comes to moving players and uh the draft is a lot more acute because there's only two rounds. Uh but like I said, NFL off season is pretty interesting. Especially this one has been really interesting. There's been some big moves. Yeah, I mean and that's how I I love this the process of NFL off season because I feel like free agency like your your free agency moves set up your drafts, you know, make or break. Yeah. Like for instance, like how the Browns tackled off season this year, they went and got you know Jake Conklin. They go and get Austin Hooper. Uh, yeah, then you got you had some much needed safety depth. So now you're going into the draft, you know, less pressure. 
I have the ability just, all right, I'm just going to take best available talent, you know, match match accordingly to yeah. your draft board as well. But, um, you know, it's, it's such an interesting mechanism. You've seen how some teams, they they neglected the free agency, yeah. didn't have the best, best draft, and now they're at a, you know, a, a disadvantage uh, in terms of some of these other teams. Are, the GMs just kind of knocked it out the park on all yeah. cylinders. I'm kind of on the same boat with you uh, with the Eagles, my team, the Eagles, um, you know, going and getting J- Darius Slay this offseason, which I think could uh, be a really good pick. I mean, I, I he's been excellent for Detroit, uh, but the Eagles do have a history of getting corners that were in their prime on another team and then coming there and stinking. So it's totally not out of the possibility, but I do like the pickup because they need the secondary help. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but... Yeah, like we you were saying, there is like kind of a lot of moves that just go under under the radar sometimes. Like, like the Austin Hooper pickup, I actually really like. I think he that was a really good pickup for the Browns because they just they need more weapons. Like, yeah, if Baker can't get it done, they'll figure that out along the way. But they just need to surround him with as much talent as possible. Exactly, and if you date back to even his college days at Oklahoma, Baker. I mean, he he obviously played with CD. Um, you know, for for a couple of years, but yeah, um, he really had his a lot of success with tight end Mark Andrews, and like you know, in terms of red zone, that was a, an area that we were pretty deficient at last year. Um, so I like Hooper. I think I saw some stat that said he's called around ninety four percent of like open pass attempts. I mean, that's that's beautiful because. Yeah. Um, he was good. I liked him. And we have Joko nice. on roster. He he missed a lot of time last year yeah. due to injury. But even before the injury, he's kind of an inconsistent guy. Like hands have always I've kind of been, been a big. Big, he's a big yeah. body. He's a big body, and he's he, he's a good blocker too. I think, but like from what I've seen, but yeah, it's know, just you know he he's not as reliable no, as we like him to be. Yeah, he's not as much of a threat in the passing game as I think they wanted him to be. Yeah. So going into this draft, though, yeah. I mean, after we seeing the day one, day two, day three recap, who who have you, what team have you seen that kind of just differentiated themselves with the, with the great draft class? Like, who are your winners in this year? The winners for me, um, I like San Diego or sorry, not San Diego, L.A. Chargers draft. I thought they got some good players. I like um, like Justin Herbert. I think he could be interesting. Um, honestly, as uh, as sad as it is, I would have to say the Dallas Cowboys kind of won out on some of these picks. Um, C.D. Lamb, I mean, that just broke my heart. Because I saw him slipping down the draft, and I'm like, could he slip to 21? Could he slip to 21? But yeah. no. Um, goes to the Cowboys. Uh, and I, I thought they had a good a good first round. Um, I also like the Vikings, too. I think they had a good draft. They picked somebody uh, later... Um, who who did they pick? Justin Jefferson. Yeah, they got Justin Jefferson. Um, I think they picked up. Let me look up. They they picked up a very, a very solid cornerback. Yeah, there. that's what I was I was thinking of. I knew they picked a really good DB. Second round, and that's been the beauty of these past two years. I feel like a lot of DBs that have been given first round grades and first round talents to me have been available on day two and have made just as much, if not more, yeah. of an impact on some of these teams. Like. Last year, I mean, this is two consecutive years for the Cleveland Browns. They're getting the LSU DB that probably should have went first round, you know, and that falls in their lap. Greedy Williams, now mm-hmm. we got safety. You know, Grant Delpit, yeah, Jim Thorpe winner, huge. You know, then you got studs like Antoine Winfield, Landon <laughs> at, at the Buccaneers. 
Like, I mean, I, arguably, I'd say he was like a top three DB in the Big Ten behind Akuda and yeah. Arnett. So, um, yeah, I mean, the the depth in this class is really is is really refreshing. I mean, you see teams getting this was big, a really good draft class. That's what I was saying during the draft. I was like, this is a really good draft class. You got guys going on like in deep in the third round are probably going to be day one starters. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of my winners, I I liked. Yeah, like. The Buccaneers' um, vision for their draft. Uh, they were in an advantageous position, them being at the middle of the pack. I think they picked, they were the 14th pick in the first round, I believe, or uh, 15th. Um, for what they were going first round, I composed a mock draft, and I knew, I mean, you're returning a defensive unit that was the number one rushing defense. So you definitely have to address some needs on the yeah. back end, but at that position, I mean, with the Cuda going off the board, Really wasn't too slow with any DBs going that high necessarily for them. So I knew all, like an offensive lineman makes sense, especially with the top four prospects. And, you know, and with Cleveland, with Cleveland um, going Wills and even earlier, like Andrew Thomas was a surprise to some people to the Giants. It kind of skewed the order because I had Worfs going first, like first in order, then Jedrick Wills, then maybe... Browns and Buccaneers are going to be in the mix for like, you know, uh, Makai Beckton or Andrew Thomas. But the draft order flip-flopped and they got one of the arguably the best athletes at that position in Tristan Wirth. Um And offensive line is just something that needs to be addressed, especially when you're bringing in a veteran quarterback like Brady. Mobility is definitely, you know, not a strong suit and you want to keep them protected and preserved as long as you can. And then second round, Damn near might end up being the best DB out this class, which he can be. The ceiling is that high for him. Antoine Winfield Jr. Yeah. Uh, the Brown, and this was, this was another area in the draft, second round. They were not, I think they were like one or two picks getting the first, well, Xavier McKinney went earlier, but so, you know, they just have the, the luxury of, all right, I kind of have my choose. I can see where he goes and I benefit. And they benefited greatly in the first two rounds and, I feel like everybody down in Tampa is pretty inspired of what they have brewing. You got Bruce Arians coming into his second year with the program. You know, he's coming from winning programs, coach of the Cardinals. He was OC on the Steelers, a couple Super Bowl runs. Then you bring in a Gronkowski. So now you got vets in the locker room that's been at that pantheon of greatness. And I feel like this young, talented core, you know, you got Godwin, you got guys like Mike Evans. They're they're going to be inspired and juiced up now that they have that type of support in the locker room. So, very A plus off season right now for the Buccaneers. The thing about the Buccaneers too is like this off season was paramount that they nailed this right. I mean the draft specifically because they went and got Tom Brady and then they bring in Gronkowski and you know really trying to build a championship roster and this draft was huge that they got this right and the fact that they they nailed it as well as they did getting. Like you said, Worfs that early, like he, yeah, I I thought he was probably the best offensive lineman in this draft, honestly. And to get him at four at what thirteen, mm-hmm. that was that was pretty huge. Um, and the moves they made have applied pressure for their division. Like the NFC South, as good as it's been the past, and it's it's kind of been an asterisk the past few years. Like I was, I I really thought about this, especially like after the All Decade teams came out. I'm a big Aaron Rodgers guy, naturally, and I mean, I was happy he made it. You know, a lot of people were outraged, oh, Drew, didn't that? But over the past three years, with the rosters they've had, I 
say that they've tremendously underperformed in terms of the roster they have. They have a top three receiver. They have a top ten running back, arguably. You know, both sides of the lines are sound. Every year towards the second half of the season, the Saints are playing very good defense and always catapults into, like, the top yeah. 12 rankings. You know, so, um, you know, and, you know, they trials and tribulation. It's their second time losing to the Vikings in short, uh, in short memory. So, the Panthers, you know, the Cam Newton era is over with. Atlanta's kind of scrambling to try to, you know, get back to relevance. So, for them to make the moves they did, and even coming off the last year, I mean, they were 7-9 to nine last year with Winston throwing 30 interceptions. Yeah. And a lot of those interceptions were, you know, in my own territory turnovers or late game turnovers. Or that, pick sixes. Yeah, or pick yeah. six, you know, so... Um, you know, I'm I'm really enthused in terms of how they drafted and executed their offseason and how it can look this year in a new face of the NFC South. Yeah. I mean, even, like, it's crazy to think that Winston was a number one pick because, like, for me, I just, I was not high on him at all after his, after the year, after they won the, I was high on him when they won the national championship, but that next season he showed a lot of flaws that became very evident in the NFL, just his decision-making and some of the reads that he would make just kind of left your head scratching. And, like, he went on number one overall, had a lot of expectations, and just never was able to really get a grasp on how to lead that team. And, you know, he they, they surra- started surrounding him with more and more weapons, and he just kept making more and more mistakes. Like Yeah. Uh, and But at the same time, he would make he would have games where he would throw for 500 yards and just look like that guy, you know, like look like he could be one of the best quarterbacks. He just lacked a lot of the discipline that it takes to be an NFL quarterback. Yeah, I mean, and I definitely, it was funny because that second year after the championship with Florida State, I actually drew the comparison this year. They kind of looked very similar to how Clemson was this year. Yeah. Like, because they were undefeated, they still made it, you know, uh, I think to the college football playoff, but you know, they were just getting by. I remember Florida State had, like, literally just escaped the Syracuse uh, game in the ACC that year. Clemson, you know, I mean, yeah, Clemson almost fell to, you know, North Carolina early yeah. on and stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, Winston and Lawrence, I feel like, are two different levels of quarterback. Lawrence, arguably, probably the best quarterback prospect of all time <laughs> in terms of just measurables, like his size, his his, his ability, agility, and stuff. Yeah, but, his ability to make plays on his feet. I mean, just, yeah. The experience, too, is another thing. Just going up against so many good teams and, and pulling it out. I mean, they, they really didn't have any business winning that game against the Buckeyes in that playoff game. And, and outside of the block punt and some of the other issues that Ohio State faced towards the second half. But, I mean, they looked dead in the water there in that first half. But, yeah, I, I agree. Lawrence is legit, though. Yeah, He's but, legit. So get back to I know I got off tangent. Yeah, but, no, uh, <laughs> okay, we're good. So I, I mean, in into the league, I was definitely big on James, but I was like, it's going. He's going to have to be in the system. I mean, because Dabo Sweeney, uh, at his time with Florida, like he had, he had got that team you know together, fired up, mm-hmm. and I loved I loved the Bruce Arians hire, and I thought we saw I did too. we saw we saw we saw, we saw glimpses last year. I think last year the Buccaneers had routed the. Uh, the Rams early on to see, I think they put up like 50 on him and like Winston just looked like that guy. And I'm just like, he shows spurts of it. Yeah. I remember but, that game. Yeah. It, like he, he shows spurts of it, but it's just like, you know, the turnovers got to uh, simmer down on, but I actually love the, 
him going to the Saints. I feel it's a good security move. You know, you've shown last year that your team is solid enough to endure a backup quarterback in worst-case scenario something happens to Drew Brees. You got a guy who's going to be inspired to kind of get back on his grind. I mean, he did have, like, eye surgery this offseason. So yeah, so we'll I see what that can do. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if, you know, that was something that was affecting him long-term. I mean, in the short run last year. Um, and, and just with the Saints, you know, it's it's in the division. I was kind of feel like, I mean, he's definitely still love. Everybody, you know, speaks highly of Winston, former players. You know, they're enthused at them having Brady, but they're just like, oh, man, he's such a fun locker room guy. But he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. So, um, real, real interested to see how that uh, division plays off. But who are, who are your other, some of your other um, winners in this class? The draft classes stood out to you? Um, the Bengals. My hometown, Cincinnati Bengals, I think really won this draft. Uh, I mean, obviously the Joe Burrow pick was pretty much guaranteed before he'd even left LSU. Um, the dude's from Ohio, played under Urban Meyer, and that was a funny thing. Last night I was watching on ESPN, they had the Ohio State-Michigan game from 2016, which mm-hmm. uh, I can imagine both of us were at that game. <laughs> Were you there? Actually, no. I think I was at Cleveland. I was watching it. Uh, my friend had a tailgate party. But yeah, I was, I was <laughs> at that game. Freezing cold, but amazing game. One, Two versus three. And it was funny seeing Joe Burrow on the sidelines of that game. And, like, looking at him and saying, like, yeah, like, everybody just kind of, nobody even noticed him. And then, who knows, two, three years later, he's the Heisman Trophy winner and the number one pick in the draft. And, like, just to see the evolution of the guy, he's, you know, been around the game for a while. He's had experience playing at top college programs, and now he's got a chance to, to take this team to the next level and really actually win some football games for the Bengals, who had arguably their worst team in probably 10, 15 years. That's another thing. People always throw are always throwing dirt on the Bengals' name. And the Bengals, like, they've had some good seasons. Like, they're not always terrible. Like, they're not consistently bad. They're just, they've been bad lately because for a lot of reasons that are neither here nor there, but... They had a really good draft, I think, this year. And, and Burrow yeah. was just a good foundation. Yeah, they should have drafted more offensive linemen, I think, in this draft. And that was the one thing they messed up on. Uh, they picked an offensive lineman, I think, in the 6th or 7th round. I think it was a little too late. Yeah, guard from Kansas. I'm looking at the yeah. list now. But, uh, like I said, Burrow was the obvious number one. And then the steal for me was T. Higgins in the second Absolutely. round. Absolutely, yeah. He is excellent. I was like, this guy is so good. I wanted the Eagles to maybe pick him. Uh yeah, yeah, my mock draft, I definitely had him projected to go late first round. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you definitely addressed, I mean, because that's the thing that with the Burrow thing, I mean, it just made the most sense in the offseason. Obviously, everybody knew he was going mm-hmm. to the Bengals. He has, I wouldn't say, a strong foundation of, uh, like, team around him. Like, I definitely, I mean, you address some needs in the draft on the defensive side of the ball, which is good, but yeah. he doesn't have the worst day one weapons. I mean, you're giving him a Joe Mixon. I don't know the longevity of A.J. Green, but it's good that you got him for another year. Yeah. Tyler Boyd, it showed spurts. I mean, you got John, John Ross. Two guy, yeah. Auden Tate had a solid second half of the year for yeah. fantasy. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Uh, I like Auden Tate. There, there, there's some promise there. I, I was surprised that you guys didn't scoop up another tight end uh, with uh, yeah, Eifert gone. gone but, yeah. But, I mean, second and third round, you guys definitely killed. I mean, T. Higgins, Steele. I mean, C.J. Uzama is kind of like, he, he was, um, you know, he was a better blocker than a runner. And, and same with Croft, but I don't even think Tyler Croft's on the team. I think he played for Buffalo now. But yeah, uh, he was on the team. They had some other guys coming in and out of tight end. I think you're right. They should have definitely went tight end at some point. But they did. 
pick up a D, uh, Akeem Davis Gaither from Appalachian State, who's a linebacker. And oh, they and also got Logan, Logan Wilson. Wilson, too, from that Wyoming. Was... Two really good linebackers. Because they do their pass rush was kind of not great, but picked up towards the second half of the year. And I think just getting some guys in there, some younger talent in there to, to maybe mold into something could be useful. So uh, those yeah. were two good picks late in the in the draft that I uh, I liked. I thought the Bengals did a good job this year, um, yeah. you know, with what they had, which was, you know, all of the leverage in the draft, pretty much. For real, I mean, and Logan Wilson, I I think he was probably one of the bigger small school prospects. Yeah, people they liked. I feel like they they saw the tape, they saw the tangibles, and like, but maybe just the school program and you know the strength of the conference. To turn him away, but I mean, this this, this guy is, is built for it tough, so I'll, I'll be pretty interested. Because when the Cincinnati was in their prime, like with those Marvin Lewis areas, like, yeah, it was nice when you guys had the receivers, but you always kind of always had a decent offensive weaponry, mm-hmm. like nothing marquee, like top elite. Outside of Chad Johnson. Yeah, it's never been not too flash and dash, but. TJ Hushman Zada had like one good season. <laughs> yeah, he was a dog, but. uh defensively, that's where I feel like your identity was. I mean, you guys were stingy. Yeah. People used to, like, I remember, I mean, you know, as AFC North rivals, people, you always used to joke and call your team, like, you know, the Cincinnati convicts. You, yeah. you guys you guys would get just straight, like, I mean, you had, like, that's Pac-Man. Why the, that's why the Joe Mixon pick makes <laughs> so much sense at the time. <laughs> I know, it just kind of correlated with the theme. It but was a steal, too. Honestly, I mean, like we've seen in, you know, last dance that we're going to talk of later, people embracing that kind of bad boy role, sometimes yeah. it works, you know. Sometimes not it everybody the mentality has mentality of the team. Like it, it gives you kind of a, a mentality of like you have nothing to lose. Like the people are, are against you, so you might as well just play the bad guy and be tough. And win. and that's like you know, like, like with the Pistons, like we'll talk about, we're so tough yeah. for that reason. Like be the villain. So it's right. it's good for them because I like seeing teams go identity moves. Like you know, yeah. it's, it's obvious. Like okay, you got T, you got Burrow, and after that, I was like, all right, we're going defense. You know. And you, I, I get, I get motivated seeing that direction from a GM or front office because I'm just like, all right, yeah, they're trying to address these needs and trying to load. But another sleeper winner that I have in this draft class, and just kind of parlaying off what they did in this offseason free agency period mm-hmm. leading up to with the uh, Denver Broncos, I really love the direction of their draft class. They're 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 experimenting with the with the Drew Lock because they've swung and missed on so many quarterbacks in the past few years. Paxton Lynch was a bust. Yeah. Trevor Simeon didn't work out. The Joe Flacco didn't work out. Brock Osweiler didn't work out. And it's so it's so ironic that it's like John Elway, wow, you're a GM, you're a quarterback. You would think yeah. you'd be able to so yeah, curate. I had an eye for that. But honestly I think they were they were um they took another method. It was like, all right, we saw some promise. Because you can see that they can still win games with how their defense is composed. And they have good coaching there. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty um, confident in their organization. But they just lacked a little bit of the weaponry. But, I mean, getting Jerry Judy, who was my number one receiver prospect in the draft at 15, to pair up now with Cortland Sutton. Then you go get K.J. Hamler second round. Mm-hmm. Another deep threat. You're given the security blanket that you need to for a quarterback. So now you gift him this, and you still got no offense there. Now you got Melvin Gordon. Now you got Philip Lindsay at running back. Now, now the ball is kind of in his court, you yeah. know. So you kind of give yourself some clarity, and you give yourself some leverage. Like, hey, I, I gifted you the weapons. We're going to see how this works. 
Because if it doesn't, you don't want to put all that draft capital to waste in. You could even see them entering back in the mix in the quarterback hunt as the years progress. Yeah. Do you, yeah. So do you think they're just going to go with Drew Locke, right? That's going to be their guy? So right now, uh, I don't – well, and we can segue into this afterwards. Yeah. But um, I don't feel like it's a hot seat. They're going to give them – they're going to give them a, a, a sizable margin of error this year. I yeah. mean, especially in that division. Uh, you you can't just imagine them and catapult them to wildcard status. But now with the seven team playoff structure, there is a little bit more incentives. Like, all right, guys, we don't have to win our division, but you know that's we- <laughs> why I liked it. I liked it for that reason of the sense that get, it makes people more, it makes teams more competitive towards the end of the season mm-hmm. because there's more stakes involved. Like because you know usually by the end of the season there's only like. I don't know, eight teams or so that are really competing for the wild card spot and, and the playoff spot. So it's like, and even in and, and that list just gets shorter and shorter by the weeks. But like, if you add another spot, that just adds more drama onto the season. You exactly. Know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, and it's like, you get those late season contingencies like, oh, they get in if they lose and they lose yeah. and they win. So now you're adding another team to that kind of like permutation. Variables, so now, yeah, yeah, more variables. So, yeah. So it, it's pretty interesting. So, I, I really like the direction they're clad. I mean, that was just the first two rounds. Then they ended up getting Tyree Cleveland, who I felt like was going to be a sleeper receiver. Got him in the seventh round. Um, just just all around, they, they addressed what they need. Then they got Lloyd Cushenberry. A very, um, his stock was rising more towards around the senior bowl time. Yeah. He had a really good senior bowl as an interior O-lineman, like off the LSU team. And you're just getting guys from winning programs. So, it's never a bad route. And also another, I'm gonna just throw them in too. I was really, I liked what the what the Panthers did with their first two rounds. Yeah. Um, they're, I mean, obviously losing Luke Keekley to retirement, such a blow. Um, but you know, you you still got to keep pounding, and that's why I was talking about identity. You see what they went in the first two rounds. They went and got Derrick Brown, beast D yeah, interior D lineman from pick. Auburn. He was a great pick. Can't just think, especially with like also Gerald McCoy is now on the Cowboys as well. So they they were filling mm-hmm. in the voids. Then they go and get uh yet well, uh I don't know how to pronounce Yitter Gross Matos from Penn yeah. State, and this was a guy that kind of climbed on my draft board nearing the time, and I was doing a little bit of film study and I had to reel back the tape of him against Ohio State, and he played a very good game. He was disruptive. He made like he flushed the pocket a lot. He was getting the fields. He was making it a hard day. Second half, we definitely kind of stabilized it a little bit more, but um, I, I was really wild with uh, with just the the ability for him to land. I mean, some mock drafts I saw him going like twentieth or nineteenth to the Raiders yeah. at that point or to the Jaguars. So. Early second round. Yeah. So, um, what do you? So, who do you think was a loser of this draft? We've talked about winners. Oh man, who is who is the biggest loser to you? Oh this draft? man, it hurts to say it. I'm such I'm such a Packers fan, yeah, but man, they the Green they, Bay Packers they they really shit the bed. I mean, and here's my problem with I've multiple problems. If you look at what the, what they did in the offseason last year, they molded this because I remember I was so confident. Even last year, I took prop bets in like July, like literally right after the draft, after seeing like the offseason moves. They went and go get Adrian Amos from the Bears. Then you go get press. Then you go uh, get Zadarius Smith. Yeah. Then you go get uh, Preston Smith. So you're getting those two. Like you, that you're you're building Smith, bro. You get a pass rush. You drafted Yair Alexander. Uh, you know, two years prior, you emerged to one of the top ten corners in the league. So you're starting to build defensive identity. 
And you see how it translated this year. You go 13-3 and with a first-year head coach, Matt LaFleur. They did have three down. Like, I mean, they lost to the 49ers twice. And in the 49ers games, if you observed, and even the Chargers lost, all three of their losses came from relentless pass rush, especially Bosa Brothers. But I'm just like, okay, as a GM, you're seeing this? Okay. <laughs> Our tackles are getting beat, even though he got Bakhtiari. But you lost Brian Balaga this offseason. Mm-hmm. He's on the Chargers now, so... You've missed that void. Oh, our run defense is pretty poor. You know that was what I was gonna say. They <laughs> should have drafted a defensive player. I think their defense still it was it was miles ahead of how it was the past couple of years prior to last season, but still just needed more fortification, like you said in the in run. the trenches. Absolutely. I mean, we had a good pass rush, and we definitely had a good back end. Our secondary, I have a lot of faith in. But um, and then, I mean, look at the key departures. Blake Martinez, who led the league in tackles yeah. not too long ago, I think two three years ago. He's gone. He's on the Giants now. And you lost another backup uh, in uh, Luke Fackrell. So, I'm just like, all right, your obvious needs are re-bolster the defense and improve the weaponry. I mean, and what they did this year was really impeccable because Devontae Adams was gone for a significant chunk of the season. Mm-hmm. You're literally pulling up undrafted free agent guys yeah, you're like Alan Geron- Lazard, Jake, Allison, Jake Kumaroff, and Aaron Rodgers are still winning games. Uh-huh. You know, so I'm just like, you as as a franchise, you have to reward that. And he's already signed. He signed a four year, hundred thirty four million dollar extension. He's paid up through. You showed yourself that okay, you went from no playoffs to being in the Super Bowl window now. Mm-hmm. And, and they the com- championship game. They they've completely regressed. I mean, and yeah, the Forty Nineers are obviously the better team. Right. Going into that, I was I didn't really give them too I much like of a chance. Niners in that game too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I because I saw the obvious things. I was like, all right, they got to address pass rush. Like, I don't know what those schematic thing, but, you know, they couldn't really get anything going. They couldn't stop the run. Those were, like, the two core tenants that I saw that they needed to address. And That's they like did the two core things you need to beat the Niners, honestly. Is like... Honestly. I mean, and it's just so frustrating. The Jordan Love pick, okay, at first, like, the aftershock, I'm like, wow, like, we got him, like, that early. It didn't really uh, offend me as much, like, going into day two. I'm just like, okay. There's a plethora of talent here. We still have picks. I was like, we can correct this. And as a, if you're getting a, a, a new young head coach, you know it's going to be around here for a while. You do kind of have to set him up for the quarterback of the future. So yeah. we don't know if Lafleur was big on this Jordan yeah, Love guy, I and wonder. he see he sees mentorship ability from you know Aaron Rodgers to right. get the best out of this prospect when it's when his when it's his time. I mean, because they just, did the same thing with the Brett Favre Aaron thing. So I understood that. But I, I just think it's just a little too early. A couple exactly. of years too early. I think to make this kind of I think if this move was made two or three years down the road, it wouldn't be as criticized as it is. Um but yeah, I get what yeah, I get what you're saying though. And it's not like Aaron, at um Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre kind of thing they're trying to rebuild, but I just think it's a little too soon. And it's like it's not Aaron Rodgers not regressing in skill. Like no. he shows you spurs that he can he's still the one of the most or not the best accurate passer in the league. Yeah. Like you know, this guy doesn't turn the ball over. I think last year he went like the year before he went like twenty five and two. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You have to reward that and give him weaponry. I saw this other crazy stat on my timeline the other day. It was like um, touchdown passes um, to a first round receiver. Like the list that had yeah like everybody basically everybody else in the league company like Manning was like over in like the two nineties. Brady was like. Low two hundreds, Roethlisberger like two hundred something. Then there's Aaron Rodgers, 
with a lone one to Mercedes Lewis yeah, Mercedes this Lewis. year. Yeah. And, you know, that stat might not be so meaningful in context, but it, 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 it gives you an outlook of, like, how their GMs, you know, enter the draft. Like, you've gone all these years. You, you struck gold by getting um, Aaron Jones. A couple years back, yeah, it was very. It was a a long, extended period of time where we really didn't have a consistent running game. The Eddie Lacy came and went. (laughs) Yeah, that was an experiment. Like we had dudes like Ryan Grant, stuff like you know, uh, Bubba Franks, like all these other guys that were just like not it. So the past three years, I'm like I've seen an inadequate front office in terms of building foundational talent around Aaron Rodgers to elongate a Super Bowl window because he is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. You can't tell me right now if he is the open market that, uh, you know, you wouldn't see a gradual drop-off he went to a place like the Patriots. I was talking about earlier with the Broncos if the Drew Locke experiment doesn't work out. So now for me, I have, I, I want Aaron Rodgers, I want the, him to go into this year, chip on the shoulder, shoulder front office, you, you, you fucked up. <laughs> and then, I want him to explore his options, and I honestly think he's gone. This is his contract year? I don't believe so, no. He's definitely still landlocked in terms of, I think he's paid up until, like, 2022 season. Okay. So, um, so the, like, yeah, he, they he's there. Have, then they should have waited until at least he was on his, a year, I would say at, at least a year before his contract was up. Like, you don't. But, like, to, to make this move in the first round, uh, in a quarterback draft that was good, but... I mean, not glaring, not as glaring as receiver in some yeah. of these other positions. I mean, after the, the top, rush, after like, the top two, I mean, it, it's definitely a significant drop off. Right. I mean, there were, it was a good quarterback class in terms of like what type of talent you can get at the round. You mm-hmm. know, what I'm saying you can do, get dudes like Jacob Eason like in the later round, or yeah. you know, if a, uh, even if like oh, a yeah, Hurts. there's certainly talent in this in this quarterback. Yeah, game. but like I mean, there for as of right now, if you're as a franchise, I'm looking into next year. Like and, I'm and, looking in what can I do to win now. Like and I'm not trying to win later down the line. Hopefully, if the Jordan Love thing works out, because that's a lot of contingency. You have. A top five receiver in Devontae Adams. You have a top fifteen, top twelve running back to me in Aaron Jones, mm-hmm. and you got Aaron Rodgers. Your defense showed you showed you some grit this year. Go ahead and get them some more. Load up the linebackers interior, you know, and and that's how and that's how good teams remain at the top. That's why you always seen the Patriots and teams like the Steelers just drive well, like year in and year out. They keep what needs to be around them. It was just so disappointing. Yeah. Um... I, yeah, I think maybe just do. Do you think Jordan Love like could like? When do you think he could actually? Do you think he actually could be a quarterback of the future for this team? Or is I, just like, you know, I'm, is he just gonna be a perpetual backup? In this, like, I with the drafts and prospects, I really don't like to make too too much strong of a, yeah, yeah, too strong of opinion of a guy I didn't really watch. I haven't watched one game of Jordan Love. Me neither. That's why I, was I mean, more. from the highlights and tapes I've seen, he definitely looks like he has the tangibles, but. I mean, and with quarterbacks though, it's it's a it's lot of things. A lot of things that goes into quarterback. I mean, the quarterback you're drafting is not going to be the quarterback that you win with as an NFL team. Yeah, you know, you're going to go through like you got to have protection, you got to have playmakers, you got to have personnel. There's so many more pieces. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. So, uh, and and he has to have comfort. You know what I'm saying. He has to have put. Do I have faith that maybe Lafleur can work with him down the line? Absolutely. 
But I feel like that's a a long that's that's a four, that's a four year plan. It's right big, now, you need to look at short term. Like it's what a big can I gamble. Do? It's a big gamble to trade up for as well. Like the fact that they traded up for it was kind of a huge head scratcher for me. Yeah, I honestly feel like he still would have been available. I mm-hmm. mean, and I'll talk about quarterbacks being drafted way before necessary with my disappointing draft, which. Uh, the draft itself for this team wasn't too disappointing outside of just one pick, and that's uh, the Eagles. Whew. My Eagles had a very interesting draft. Um, the first round, they took Jalen Rager. Uh, he he was getting a lot of buzz toward as the draft came up kind of late, um, like a couple weeks out from the draft. I started seeing him really kind of be project, projected for that late to mid-first round. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, uh, I've watched some of his stuff. And, uh, you know, he, he's got, I think, on on field, he's faster than the 40 time because the 40 time is like a four four seven, which mm-hmm. isn't fantastic for a receiver in 2020. But, um, you know, on field, he looked a lot faster, a lot quicker. Um, and, you know, he, he made a lot of plays for TCU this year. Uh, but for me, the biggest thing was the number of drops that it showed um, on the draft board. That's kind of why he slid. Um, on draft boards was yeah. because he dropped a lot of passes. I'm but sure if you actually that. look, um, there's a great uh, Eagles Twitter account. Um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, and it, they basically break down all of the Jalen Rager plays where the quarterback. It's called FQ Eagles on Twitter. Okay. Look them up if you're an Eagles fan. If not, whatever. But um, <laughs> they they show a lot of like. There's probably ten plays that this guy went through all the tape of Jalen Rager and found. Of the quarterback either making a bad read, overthrowing him, underthrowing him, or throwing an interception, and there was probably ten to fifteen plays that they had posted on this thread, uh, and I watched pretty much all of them, and it was just a lot of it. Jalen Rager showing frustration just because of miscommunication. I think the quarterback play and, and the lack of running the ball for TCU kind of made him get overshadowed, and it made those drop numbers look a lot more uglier than they may have been if he had more of a. Carson Wentz with him, maybe. Yeah. You know, so. And this was definitely a speed. Like, this was a good mixture of, like, you got your guys, like, your big possession receivers, so, you yeah. know, bigger frames. But then you got a lot of, like, deep threat coverage busters. And, like, I know people were, like, scratching their head, like, see, like, oh, Jalen Rager instead of, you know, like a Justin Jefferson or something like that. Jefferson but, didn't fit the, the, the mold. Exactly. Well. I mean, you already kind of got a Je- – you already got Alshon Jeffrey there. I mean, you really do have a wide receiver one in, in Zach Ertz. Like, you know, it's not that big of a need. So – I feel like he complimented your receiving core as being that coverage buster to do it and take the top. We off needed the a deep threat, exactly. And that was supposed to be Deshaun Jackson last year, but obviously, and he's still on the team, so we'll see what he can do maybe this year. Yeah. But uh, you know, just having deep threat that was the biggest thing that the, the offense missed, and it, it busted a lot of drives, the drop balls, and the and the uh, the deep threats. So to go out and at least get a receiver. I mean, if the guy's quick and can catch the ball, he's already better than most of the receivers that were on the team last year. So, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, I didn't hate the pick as much as a lot of people did. The pick I didn't like the most was the second rounder, Jalen Hurts. Uh, this was a huge head-scratcher for me because I thought for sure they were either going to get a linebacker or Denzel Mims, who was still on the board um, at the time. And they went with Hurts, and it was just such – when I remember sitting at the dinner table eating with my parents, and they were, I was like, we're going to hear a linebacker or a receiver – and they go Denzel, and they go Jalen Hurts, and I'm like, what? I was like, why? I I didn't understand it, but then I was like, okay. I mean, I guess I get it because Wentz has shown. I mean, regardless of how well he's played under the circumstances he's been under, he's been dealt a bad hand every season, absolutely, uh, and has still been really good. But I mean, the injuries are a huge problem. They are, 
It got us. I mean, we easily. Seattle was so beatable. That was what sucked about watching that playoff oh, game. Oh, so beatable. Game. So beatable. We had them beat, and, and and just that happens. The cheap shot and, um, you know, bad luck. But I I sure as hell would rather have had Jalen Hurts come in in that fourth quarter than Josh McCown. Yeah. Forty year old Josh McCown. You know, at and, least because McCown was running around all game, and I bet Hurts would have been doing it way better than that. So honestly. Getting this pick for quarterback protection, I understand it, but the thing I didn't like about it the most was that it was in the second round. I think if they would have used the 103rd pick, he probably still would have been there, or even if anything, traded down or up. That's what they should have done if they really wanted to get hurt. So I would have traded maybe to the early or or middle of the third round because picking him in the second round was just dumb, I think. It it didn't make... I, I don't think he was that hot of a commodity. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there were teams that really wanted to pick him in that late second round, but uh, I just uh, I I didn't love it, and yeah. now they're saying that they want to maybe use Hertz as like a oh. like a Taysom Hill kind of thing. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know what what Doug Peterson has in mind, but hopefully this comes with something. I mean, either A the guy's not going to touch the field, or B he's going to be in some capacity in the offense. But I don't know. I don't I mean, hate the pick. I don't love the pick. I'd probably give like a C. How I interpret it, it definitely was a shocker. I mean. I didn't really see Jalen Hurts going to a plug-and-play system where, like, they need a young quarterback to go. Like, he's in that he was in that heir-to-the-throne quarterback class. Yeah. Me. I honestly saw him maybe going to the Steelers, like, third round. I thought that was a destination. But, I mean, with the security blanket, with the foundation of how the Eagles built the team, like, you're very, like, top five O-line, you know, top five D-line. Like, you have a very stable system. Like, if I was a receiver, I'd be jumping out of my, you know, Jones to get there. I was like, oh, I get to play with Wentz. So, I mean, you literally won a Super Bowl with your backup quarterback. And that just shows you, one, like, Foles, you know, he, he knew the offense. He he was ready. He's been there. But it shows you the type of system you have. Like, you have the next man up. And that's honestly inspiring. So, you know, if a Wentz does go down, you got a, a Jalen Hurts that can step in. And you still have the capital and the fa- structure around for to still win. I mean, and Aguilar robbed you guys of a couple wins. Like, you know, the drops, oh, like critical drops. The, uh, I mean, there was there was probably, out of the games we lost, out of the seven losses this season, I would say probably three or four of them were off drop balls. I mean, the Arcega white side drop would have had us on the 10-yard line against Detroit, lost that game. I mean, Aguilar dropped the, the deep ball that would have tied it against... Um, was it the Cowboys? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it was Dallas. Yeah, Dallas. He dropped yeah. the deep ball there. I mean, just so many botched plays by the receivers this year. It, it had to be, uh, um, you know, we had to pick more receivers, and we did. We got um, John Hightower, who I actually like from Boise State. I've watched some of his stuff. If he could put on, like, 10, 15 pounds, he could be a really good receiver. Quest Watkins, fast guy from Southern Miss. Uh, and then they just picked a bunch of linebackers and stuff. I thought the, the rest of the draft went really well for the Eagles. Uh they picked a lot of good athletes on defense, got some more weapons, got an offensive lineman, but the Hurts pick, who knows? My thing with Hurts, though, last thing on it, is just I wasn't really high on him at all. Mm-hmm. Like, even when he was at Alabama, I was like, this guy like just can't really throw the ball that well. Like, So, I don't know. But, look, at the same time, he has experience playing in big games, you know, oh, yeah. big, oh, big games at Oklahoma. You know, and he's had games where he's just went off. So, I mean, it's kind of unpredictable. But he's had big games. He's been in big game situations. He knows what it's like to lose. He knows what it's like to, to you know, obviously the Tua situation. He knows mm-hmm. what that's like. He he's got some he's got some mileage under him. So I, honestly, I think it could be a good backup quarterback um, for a guy that has 
shown that he can't play a whole season for a lot, you know, and it's just the way it is. Like, I know, I hate and to say it because I love Carson Wentz. I thought it was a too. fantastic pick when they picked him. I knew he was going to be better than Jared Goff. I was so much higher on Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. Um, but besides the point, yeah, the Hurts pick, I didn't hate it, didn't love it. Yeah, fair assumption. I mean, but honestly, I like outside of Tua and Burrow, who were just you know glaringly like safe picks. Mm-hmm. I honestly, felt like at that safe of a pick. Honestly, yeah, I mean, yeah. If injury aside, yeah. injury aside, he yeah, was a safe skills. pick. I mean, you know, the hip. I don't, you know, I don't know the logistics of that or mm-hmm. what the physical looked like. But yeah, Hertz was comfortably my QB three in this class. I knew Love would probably go earlier because you know. It's always like that one small school. It's like, oh, this guy's a good frame. He's mobile. <laughs> you know, yeah, and my Mel Kiper, he can move the pocket. He can remove the launch point. But it's like, yeah. at the end of the day, Jalen has done it at two different systems, two different conferences, playing two st- different styles of football. Right. And is you know has exceeded expectations. So, no, I th- yeah, I th- that's a really good point. I, look, yeah, I don't, I don't hate Hurts. Uh, I didn't hate the pick, honestly, but I just was kind of confused, especially yeah. for a second rounder. But. Uh, that's the NFL draft, though. Uh, overall, really entertaining draft for the circumstances. I mean, they had like a lot of people singing, which was strange. Another thing that ESPN got a lot of flack for was like telling really dark backstories oh, about like man. every single draft pick. Like, oh yeah, played hu- football in high school and his whole family died in fire. Like all like on the screen. I'm like, is yeah. this really necessary? Like, do we really need to see this? Like, but outside of that, it was a good draft. And Roger Goodell is super awkward. I don't. I'm not a Goodell guy. I had to make sure I booed him through yeah, the, uh, <laughs> through the broadcast. But yeah, him. getting back to the ESPN thing, like I know, like maybe sometimes they're what their intention is. They want to illustrate, like a, yeah. you know, the struggle story. Like you know, the the person has battled like oppressive nature and like their life. And it's you know it's remarkable. Like the Jeff Akuda story, that was a tearjerker. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they they did that eloquently. You know, it was well executed. It was given its uh, its like cinematography, so you know you it it was it was appropriate. Some yeah. of the other ones, I know he came out and defended and said, you know, I'm proud of my mom. The T Higgins one, yeah. that's a low blow. The guy, uh, the um, the wide receiver from yeah. Wisconsin, that was a low blow. They literally bringing up. Yeah, it's like old a, rape allegations. Yeah, like yeah, was and, accused of rape two times. It's like why do we need cases? to see this? Exactly, and you know, and there's a study. You know, I'm an, I'm major in sport industry, and we talked about this one day in class. There's a very there's a significant coverage difference from um, how they highlight the crime and just basically like bad headlines for like black athletes versus white athletes. And I feel like it like you know I'm not trying to draw a bigger point, but I've kind of seen the same pattern like over the years. It's like wow, like we're always like you know just throwing the the struggles of you know the athlete. Like last year, Jeffrey Simmons, D tackle from Texas A and M, got drafted first round to the Titans. They were literally airing a video from high school. His sister was like in an altercation with a girl they were fighting or whatever. It's a it was definitely bad optics. It's big, yeah. you know, six four, probably three hundred pound lineman coming breaking in a fight but you know you have to kind of also hear too it's like all right that's probably like family instinct you seeing your sister get hurt mm-hmm. you know and i'm not condoning i'm pretty sure he's you know faces demons from it face the consequences of backlash but he was already recruited to texas a&m after that right so that's an afterthought why are we clouding his illustrious draft moment of the work ethic he's put in in college the obstacles he's overcome to 
to try to bring this to type of dirty point. Yeah, yeah, this dirty laundry back on the forefront, and it's just so frustrating yeah. that they cloud. You know. That they cloud and overshadow. And they parade it. Like, they yeah. put it right on the screen. Like, it's like, come on. Like with, I want to see what this guy can do on the field. I, I really, like, you know, it's great to hear that he's made it. But at the same time, like, you know, I'm coming for more of analysis than a, than a story. Yeah, and people don't, like, like, and trust me, I'm aware of it. Like, I, I know the struggle stories of how, like, athletes yeah. rise to it. But in that moment alone, like... It's like if I'm walking across graduate, uh, like graduate graduation stage, and you know the announcer's like, "Oh, Cam, he, you yeah. know, like <laughs> this didn't happen." It's like, "Oh, he's beat two DUIs in yeah. an open <laughs> container." Yeah. Congrats, Cam. I'm like, dude, like I'm not trying to hear yeah. this. Like, this is my moment. Like, yeah. Leave that stuff in the closet. So that was my only take back. I mean, I still definitely have high praise. <laughs> that for, is a great point for yeah. ESPN, but I'm just like, you know, it's a certain time and a place. And and it's definitely the media definitely plays a significant factor in kind of driving those oh the red flag guys like you know yeah and and you know we 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 overlook the impact of it it's like oh I mean these organizations should kind of be on cue but I mean just the significance of a guy going first round to third round you know how much more guaranteed money he's missing out mm-hmm. on and so if this is something that's getting pushed yeah. by by narrative and pushed by subjection versus like objective facts like oh i would rather you know this guy oh he's had you know accusations of this i'm like okay but he beat it you know what i'm saying so i'm I'm always a big uh defender of that i'm just like look at the end of the day like these are all like 20 21 22 year old they're all young guys like Like, we're we're not the same we don't make the smartest decisions in the world at this age yeah the the sports casters that sit on the other side of the lens and you know critique and uh try to determine the risk level i'm like you're you're not the same individual you were at this age football or not like it's really like what it comes down to like obviously the off the field stuff is important but like you know it really should be paramount you know the the skill on field because like that's really that's their job and like, especially if, 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 if oh, go ahead and I'm just gonna say like and if that's their job and like if they can't you know it, it should be really that's really what you should judge somebody on when you're looking at the NFL draft yeah I mean <laughs> and, like we see character issues in the NFL still yeah, and how is that totally. handled I mean the, Brown and some of these other the guys. Patriots are like a damn near a rehab center for yeah. any problem oh yeah the drug problem come over here yeah. it's like oh your team's not working out come on here like. So you have to give these prospects a chance to at least form the relationships. Like, yeah, yeah you guys are probably going to try to drive this narrative. But guess what? When he met with the Jaguars and he sat down with their management, he was upfront and transparent about everything. Yeah, and so like, yeah, I made you mistakes, know. you know, human being. But yeah, um, my favorite draft story is the Laramie Tunsil. Oh man, the gas, gas mask. Man. I love that it. was. Do you think now with the NFL having stri- uh, less uh, strict marijuana laws, you think he would have? Falling as far as he did, he only fell off like fifteen or something, which was no. I mean, and a you steal know, for my and it, and you know we're we're gonna look and we're at such a unique time to like uh, examine what's going to come next, like how mm-hmm. it is after the legislation's passed and like how it was right before. I mean, Josh Gordon has become literally a league horror story because of we. Not giving him a pass. Like at this point, at the end of the day, like, dude, like you, yeah. like, like I can put the blunt down so I can make millions and right. try to like, win Super Bowls. You have so. the rest of your life to smoke weed. Like, what you're an NFL player, you're gonna play for at most ten years, at most ten to fifteen years as a receiver. And it's like and I'm like, not. <laughs> you, you, then you can after you retire, you can smoke weed for the rest of your life, and I'm, you'll have millions of dollars to pay for it. 
Like, I just, I don't understand the logic of failing a drug test that many times. Exactly. I know batches of summers of students that go into their summer internships and they find a way to finesse a pitch test. Right. Like, in the league, you literally get advance notice. Like, yeah. we are the ones that have to use the fake piss methods and the right. <laughs> getting clean piss from your guys. Like, oh, so I can get this internship so my parents don't find out. You're in the NFL, you get advance notice, find something, go to GNC. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, you know, and it's just like, you look at the financial impact, and I mean, even like the Antonio uh, Callaway and stuff like that, how he was damn near a first-round talent coming out of Florida, but he fell to the third round to the Browns. Stuff like that, and it's gonna suck for people looking back. Like, dang, I really like, cause you, like, you, you know, I obviously, like, you know, you, we partake in recreation, but at the same time, like, my father always told me, he's like, whatever you do, you know, don't let it interfere with your grades or your money. Right. You know, those are two of the core tenets. I'm like, all right, I can buy <laughs> by that. Like, okay, I need to study. Maybe let's, you know, let me focus today. I do. Oh, I have a game today, or you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, I got a job opportunity coming up. Let me s- slow down. You have to be accountable of your own actions. It's discipline. Yeah. yeah to to, to combat that because it's not that you're the only one in the league smoking. You're the only one getting caught. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Really, yeah. So. And I think that's really what kind of made the NFL kind of in, in some of the other leagues kind of realize like I mean they're they're finding ways to do it anyway. Like mm-hmm. might as well as like just save them the trouble and. Slap them with a fine if they get caught or whatever. And this know. is the hypocrisy of the but drugs. Not kick them out of the league, like <laughs> exactly. Know? And the hypocrisy of the drugs that they do administer, like the Teradol shots, like the mm-hmm. dang, you know, like a like, like yeah, like it's a cup of coffee, and you know, you know the lasting effects of that. That's something you administer, team doctors. Oh dang, like oh you torn your labrum here, come get it. They, yeah. I was reading this article. This is one uh, for class this week. Uh, for one of my weeks, it was a uh, was like called the T train. We we were supposed to do this podcast assignment. Like talking about the overusage of like painkillers and stuff in the league, and it was really interesting. Like I had to do some research to like submit it like for an outline, and you know I was coming across a lot of guys, and even I had to do two interviews uh, myself of just people that I know. So I like interviewed a couple of my boys that played college ball, and I'm like just hearing like the natures. Like, oh yeah, I was uh, administered a tee shot like uh, once before practice, after practice, Damn. before games. Like it just and it was just so routine. I'm just like. Dude, like, <laughs> like something this high potency, and like, I asked him, I'm like, dude, you think, you know, yeah, we I, definitely could have been better pain has, I feel like that definitely has some sort of long term effects. Like, does oh, it? Like, does definitely. It have any, like, oh no, the blowbacks are like teradol. Like, I'm talking like, uh, like it's bad for internal organs. Like, it. I mean, if you're putting something like, if I just tore my labrum out there playing high collision football, and you're giving me a shot where I don't feel it. Like it, it, it's it's something in, it's something in the uh, in the potion, you know what I mean? Right. That, that, it, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's still not it, like the labrum's still torn, exactly. even if you can't feel it. That makes it almost worse because then you tear it more, or do something else. Like, yeah. And it's, it's just the it exposes the also the nature too, like the capitalistic nature. It's like all right, like even the Trent Williams shit. I'm like that was so alarming to me. I'm like, this dude literally had cancer. And, like, you know, team doctors were trying to, you know, like, oh. And, like, the same thing with the Kawhi. You know, people was like, oh, Kawhi's sitting out a whole year. You got misdiagnosed by a team doctor. Or, you know, per allegedly. So, yeah. and, you know, that and you see it at college. And, and, and the Kevin Durant thing, too. That's exactly. One. Yeah. They, Where they, they don't, you know, and I feel like it's going to it's gonna be a paradigm shift one day in sports where, you know, this might be the first onset of them easing regulations but there's going to be a certain time where they're going to actually really like player empowerment and player safety is really going to be power paramount 
we're going to have to see the erasure of some of these harmful stuff because the people who's been financially disadvantaged from, you know, failed marijuana drug tests, mm-hmm. even though it's illegal in terms of the league, but like, yeah, eth- nation, but yeah but like ethically, like, yeah. you know, what's, what's the harm yeah. doing? So that, that'll be an interesting, um, thing to see yeah element to the league and see how they combat and how it looks in afterwards do you think they would they'll eventually use that as a way to rationalize all of the the shots and stuff that they're administering like yo they can smoke weed so they can definitely handle a cortisone yeah, shot so like, like, hey man you're smoking back why am I getting a t-shot <laughs> yeah, <man?"> yeah. <laughs> but nah but so. let's talk um about the last dance Ooh, the Jordan man. Nightmare. let's I, do it then, uh, that was our recap though on the uh, on the draft you know Good draft, entertaining. Man, I um, think this is like the piece of nostalgia every hoop fan ever. Yeah, ever let's needed. talk. Let's talk Jordan. So, Last Dance. Have you seen? You've seen all the episodes. Yep. Up to the episode. Up to episode four. Um, so, if you haven't seen those, check them out. But at the same time, we're not spoiling anything. This is history. So you know, yeah. whatever. That's just a little disclaimer. But what did you think so far? Um. So some of the things I didn't know. I mean, because, you know, we grew up hearing about the Jordan legend and, you know, the shot and stuff like that. But I wanted to know the formation and, like, the development. Like, it's one thing we don't get but when we're talking about past players. We don't get to see the trajectory of their careers, like, when they were mm-hmm. hot, when they were not, how their team formed around them, like, organizational moves. So it's good for this to put this into context so much because, honestly, I didn't know that Rodman was came there after – uh, he was on Bad Boy Pistons. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I had yeah. thought, like, he was before, like, he had joined forces before, then they took them down. Like, he was on the other side. So, but some of the, uh, one, of, one of my biggest um, uh, draw drawbacks from the uh, show, from the documentary so far, is just kind of seeing the dissension of the front office um, and, like, the dysfunction going into, like, the last dance, like, that last year. I mean, you literally got a, a, a Hall of Fame coach and Phil Jackson, you know, a top two player in the league and Scottie Pippen and just seeing how Jerry Krause, you know, the GM, he kind of let ego and stuff get into the way of, you know, keeping a dynasty together. I mean, you know, well, it was yeah. a, it was ended up being a three-peat, but, like, say they don't elongate that down, you know, to the 99, 2000 season, like how much more they can win and just how Jordan's standpoint was on it because – I know a lot of people always like to uh, compare the two, like compare the front office realm we're in now, like how players interact with front office demanding trades and stuff like that, and how they yeah, were back. It's become in- way more player um, oriented, oriented yeah, absolutely, and a lot more players say. But it, you know, I think everybody just kind of was under assumption that everything was just peaches and cream in Chicago. I'm just mm-hmm. like, nah. no, I'm like that was, I'm like that wasn't orchestrated. It wasn't like put together just from. You know, oh, we're gonna put this piece here, this piece here. Like they developed, like seeing the, seeing how Scotty Pippen evolved from even just under Doug Collins in the documentary to when Phil got there, how he's implementing a more team-oriented offense versus a Jordan-centric offense. You know, and that's another thing I, I I like to talk about, especially with NBA, is teams building sustainable windows for success, like. People love the the James Harden nowadays, but realize realizing like his skill set and what it takes to win championship basketball that's never going to get you there. You got a guy who's uh, like I remember it was one stat I think it was two seasons ago. It was like midpoint. I think it was his Harden MVP year. They had did it was like number of dribbles 
Harden was at, in the lead. It was like 29,870. He was averaging. Who th- he was, that? He was at, he, I know, it's some weird stats. It was some real next-gen stat shit, but... Then next, and he was averaging, I think, like thirty-three or yeah, he was. One, at, he was two, at, yeah. three. <laughs> he was. Aver- he was averaging. It was hard that you're counting all day because he just sits up there at the top. Of the but it's alarming because it was mid-season. Like the season wasn't even over. You have twenty-seven thousand dribbles. And then second was Steph at like nine thousand, and he averaged three less points. So I'm just like. That shows you just like the efficiency. I'd like team. to see Clay Thompson. Yeah, like, <laughs> like hundred, <laughs> dude. Like so, like the efficiency of team ball versus hero ball. Like you know, so yes, Jordan had help, but it was evolved from a coaching standpoint and a team cohesion. Like even Jordan said himself, he's like, I wasn't the biggest fan of uh, Phil when he first came. He's like, Doug put the ball in my hands and Phil took it out of my hands. He's like, but then I realized like. He's like, you know, he's like, I know you can go, you know, drop these numbers every night, but we got to get your teammates better so they can help. Right. And that's, that's the essence. how you really win games. And that's the essence of basketball. And it was just so remarkable to see, like, you know, and even the, that was the infant stages, like that triangle offense that we've seen replicated yeah. even with, like, Kobe. And even just around basketball. I mean, it's like an ISO two-man, and then you got a high post, low post wing or corner and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it just gives you a lot of options. Just, it's, it was really, like, kind of – the precursor to the floor spacing and three-point shooting that we see today. Obviously, it wasn't centered around three-point shooting, but, like, we saw almost the triangle expand to the three-point line, and then that's why it really hasn't worked uh, to the same uh, ability that, you know, Phil Jackson's triangle doesn't really work in today's NBA the way that it did maybe 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, just even from my experience with basketball, like, from when I started playing to, like, you know, from how I am now. Like, I played, like, fifth grade, like, you know, rec league, travel, middle school. Mm-hmm. Played, like, a year at JV, made varsity, like, bubble. And, like, just kind of seeing how, like, the fundamentals changed. Like, I remember literally growing up in infant stage, just, like, they, you know, they're emphasizing paint production, you know, post moves. Like, big men got to have post moves. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's one of your core tenets. You don't have a baseline jumper, a post move, and you can't rebound and, and defend. Like, what are you doing? You know, and the same thing like on on uh, offense. Like you're not, we're not settling for bad shots. And now in the NBA and stuff like, and even at, like the professional level, we see a lot of bad fundamental basketball. And it's I don't know whether it's a result of the paradigm shifting, like you know, three pointers more um, emphasized. But you know, then we see the erasure of like a skill set of the centers, like. I was talking to my friends last night. We could really only name, like, five, six centers that actually play the center position right. how it should be played. The rest are just kind of, like, seven-foot rebounders or, you know, pick-and-roll guys. Th- yeah, but that's the thing, though. Or floor spacers, but that's the thing. Like, yeah. it's, like, the, the it's not as much, like, the, the definition of positions is going away. It's becoming positionless basketball. Like, you're basically just going to have five guys. Eventually, I'd say in the next five or six years, we'll see teams... It's basically just a bunch of guy, five guys that can all handle the ball and shoot. Like that's that's kind of becoming the model now. Is to just if because the three pointers become so valuable. Every, every like every year, the number of threes per per game goes up for every team in the yeah. NBA. And like it's crazy to think like how good you know. And, and my my biggest thing, I guess, with the Jordan thing. First, I'm gonna finish this point. Uh, is that. Uh, it's be interesting to see what Jordan would have been able to do with the three pointer being like how many more points he would have scored because you see him going for 15, 16 in some mm-hmm. of these games. And these are mid rangers and layups and yeah. free throws. You yeah, know? 
and, and it's cr- it'd be crazy to see if he was taking, you know, nine to ten threes a game like, you know, a lot of guys are today. But, like, Jordan prior to – and my bi- my biggest point uh, going into this documentary was the public's perception on Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Because to this point, you know, as we move forward and further away from that time period – the respect, I think, for Jordan and what he did for the game is being lost. And especially with Definitely. LeBron James doing Definitely. everything that he's doing, you know, the huge MJ versus LeBron debate. Oh, man. It's, so, uh, you it's know, so we see a lot of people our age are siding with LeBron. And I think uh, th- I wanted to see if this documentary would change a lot of people's minds and maybe give them uh, an inside look at the, you know, the entire story, the entire Michael Jordan story and the dynamic of this team and what made them so good. And, uh, you know, my biggest thing was, like, but that I took away from it was, like, in the late, you know, when Jordan first entered the league, he was kind of like a Russell Westbrook without mm-hmm. all the assists and the, and the rebounds and all that. But, like, in, in the mentality of just having the ball, that's what Doug Collins, like, when he had Doug Collins, it was kind of like that. Like you said, Jordan mm-hmm. had to have the ball in his hand a lot. Like, but I think playing with Phil Jackson made him more of a team player and made him more, because, you know, and obviously the team got better. Kraus, I think, doesn't get enough credit for bringing all the talent in that he did. Oh, he definitely did, like uh, bringing in you know, Cartwright. Obviously there were issues, yeah. There were issues, and even Ron Harper and Steve Kerr and later on, and obviously Rodman, like, that was all a lot of Jerry Kraus is doing. And, and yeah, he obviously had a lot of issues with Jordan and Pippen and Phil Jackson towards the end, so it's like, he was it was a trouble in paradise at times, but, I mean, it's kind of undeniable, but... What do you think uh, people will think about Jordan? Like, obviously, so far, like just watching these four episodes, like, how do you think the public's perception? Because a lot of people try to downplay Jordan. Is my yeah, point. Like, and like, I think one of the things that goes overlooked is just like pure competitive nature. I mean, we got a firsthand glimpse of it with Kobe, and Kobe's still, you know, rest his soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was my favorite player growing up, even in Cleveland. I was like, a big Kobe fan too. Big, big Kobe fan because I'm just like I liked how he approached the game, like. And I'm not uh, comparing or denouncing anybody else by saying that, but, like, no one played as hard as him. And it was just so remarkable to see, like, in these instances, like, just the stories of, like, even how Jordan, like, I think they it was like that uh, before game five, game five, the series was tied, like, 5-5. Five, five. Uh, it was, like, from the last episode. Uh, I think they were playing... Who were they playing? Were they? It was like the Jazz. No, it wasn't the Jazz. It was the Cavs or something. Where he was like, he was like, we took care of you. <laughs> like, cause oh, like yeah, how he yeah. addressed the reporters. It was like two or three commoners. One said they would get swept in three. One said they'll lose in four. I think it was the Jazz, wasn't it? Was I think it? it was like an Eastern Conference because it, it had to because um, it was, was it a five game series. Was it Indiana or it could have been Detroit? I don't remember. Yeah, I remember was, the part that you were yeah, talking about. Yeah, and then he was like, and then the second columnist said, you're going to lose in uh, in uh, four, and it was game five, and then he's like, then the last columnist had uh, predicted they lose in five, and then he was like, he literally walked up to the reporter's booth, he was like, we took care of you, he's like, took care of you, he's like, I'm taking care of you tonight. Yeah. Like, I just love Big Bank, take Little Bank, like, shock, <laughs> big, you know, shock callers. Like, yeah. I, I Like, if you can talk shit, and back it up, like, vehemently, like, you have my respect wholeheartedly, like, because just as an athlete, like, even when I, like, I like to play, like, I like to chirp a little bit, because I feel like it raised the bar for me, like, now I'm talking shit, I'm it raised the more bar. Stakes to it, yeah. now you got, now you have something to prove, because you're Ex- opening your mouth. Exactly, and, and like. that's what, almost like, Jordan would put himself in those positions just to, just to do it, you know, like, he wouldn't just talk to piss somebody off, he would almost talk to piss himself off. Exactly. And, like, uh. 
that's something I think the NBA is really missing is like you said that competitive nature. Everybody seems like they're friends now. Like I mean, that's cool. I get it's it. It's cool. Yeah, I get it. Like obviously, like but, we're all professionals and whatnot. But like same time, like just the drive and 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 the, and the animosity towards other teams. You know, in the eighties and nineties and even probably earlier. Yeah. Uh, it just it's kind of being lost now and then the competitiveness of it and that's why it was really interesting to see the all-star game this year because it got really heated really this, heated the, all, this was like one of the best all-star games ever dude Honestly. it was legit I like and I hated the new rules at first I was like what the hell like I know. this is so unnecessary to change the rules like I, I don't I, like them wearing Kobe's number and all that I'm like that's great that's cool like but the the whole um thing with uh, them changing the rules to, to honor Kobe, I was like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. And it ended up being incredibly entertaining, it, it, especially yeah, down the stretch. It was pure hooping. And, like, that's what we get kind of brings back. Like, even when we just go to the art pack or kids playing 5 5 on the black part, like, yes, we can all be cool buddy-buddy at the end of the time, but, like, we enjoy rivalry. We yeah. enjoy heated competition. I'm not saying they got to go to blows and violence yeah. and stuff like that, but I like seeing people with their own, like, intrinsic conflict to like yeah. oh no I'm not losing this fucking yeah, game yeah I think the NBA, <laughs> you know I think the NBA yeah no I totally agree but I think the NBA has kind of taken um, I think it kind of took it too far in the in, in the 90s and 80s like and we see that in this documentary especially with the Pistons oh man the Jordan rules shit <laughs> like I mean nowadays players probably getting fined for that I mean the coach literally verbatimly said he was like every time he leaves his feet uh, he's like knock him down and he's like, when he's driving, he's like, take away the elbow, force him inside to the help. He was like, when he posts up, we're gonna trap from up top, like, and I mean, and that's good schematics, honestly. Like yeah. that, that same. It's honestly, honestly, the only way to stop him. For real, it was like that same kind of like the, a lot of similar uh, elements in that Pistons team was the same Pistons teams that beat that Kobe's team because I remember it was the Kobe. Mm-hmm. It was the Kobe. I 100% agree. It was the Kobe Shaq interview. I think it was before the All Star game, like three years before. Remember, they had to sit down face to face, and he literally broke down how they beat him. He's like, yeah, he's like, he's like, as soon as I brought the ball up court, he's like, they were bringing a high trap, the uh, double team. He's like, because you know Shaq was such a post beast, so now he's not posting up low block. He's posting up, you know, high block. So I, I honestly, because just as like I, I coach sometimes in my part time for other sports and. You know, just me being a sports fanatic, I love seeing, like, game plan. I love uh-huh. seeing schematics. So me too. It was so dope to, like, see that because people made it seem – and that was another thing where people always tried to stay in Jordan's legacy. Like, oh, he lost first round or, you know, yeah, he never got bo- he never got bounced that early in play. I'm like, dude, but back then, that's when the Eastern Conference was really winning the bulk of the championships. Like, yeah, uh, the Celtics and – um, obviously Detroit. Cav- the Cavs Cleveland. were the Cavs were nice. I mean, and that Pistons team was hard. Indiana so like, Indiana was nice too, in the, especially in the nineties. Like the bad boy Pistons were his villain. They weren't the ones that exposed him. It was like, oh, but Jordan's not good. Like that was the team that challenged him. It's like, all right, shit. And he's like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna go goat on him. You know what I'm saying? Right. So like that's why that first, you see him hugging and gracing that first trophy because it was so earned because they had to was, go. Yeah. They had to go through the trench of that and. Um, and I don't even I don't even uh, like comparing it, but like I just hate sometimes how people praise LeBron at the denouncement of an elder or like of a Jordan. I'm just like appreciate what they did, like appreciate what they did in context, and like just like compartmentalize it. Like so, he he had his trials and tribulations early on, and then like you know winning that first ship in like '91. But then they even kicked it up into second gear to, you know, mm-hmm. get to that three-peat. I mean, I know we haven't been there yet in the documentary. Still got, like, what, six episodes left, but, yeah, you know. 
Still right right left. now, I'm, like, just on the edge of my seat because I just love to see the development and the progression of Jordan, like, throughout his career. And that's what everybody's missing. We were missing context on it. Yeah. What what uh, do you still want to see uh, be in the documentary? There's one thing I want to see, and that's the Steve Kerr, Michael Jordan punch in the face incident. Uh, it's been talked about so much uh, before. I want to see if they have footage of it. I'm very interested to see that. Yeah. And if, if not, even if they just mention it and, you know, get Steve Kerr's thoughts and Jordan talking yeah. about it. Like, and that's what I've liked. Like, I like how they've kind of had Jordan be more raw. You know, this yeah. is kind of the rawest we've ever seen Jordan. That's what I liked about Like, and that's kind of what made Jordan so endearing was the fact that he was just so honest and just kind of was always just a fire under everybody that he was around. Uh, and we kind of you kind of see that even in older Jordan. Mm-hmm. I wish we could see it more as an executive, uh, but <laughs> and people and people misconstrue um, like the type of teammate him like the, the him and the Kobe's of the world where they're at practice cussing at you like you yeah. know tearing you down like yeah. people people mistake that. I mean, and I see it now even you know just with coaching now how like some parents and some kids like respond to you know the hard coaching. Well, I mean, I know sometimes people toe the line of profanity and stuff like that, and that's a whole different thing. But like, um, just seeing like they th- that type of teammate, that's the type of teammate I want to go to war for. You know what I'm saying? If you're beating, especially if, if you, you're seeing him drop 49 yeah, points a night, like <laughs> you bust, you busting my chops in practice. It's not because you don't care. The people that don't care, they're not going to tell you, like, man, yeah, fuck. Yeah, yeah. They're like, I'm gonna hit my stats tonight. Fuck this shit. And you know what I'm saying? And that's what I love seeing. What Jimmy Butler did with that Wolves team, he's like, man, he's like, you know, having to practice calling everybody out. He's like, you saw him say, he's like, cat, he's like, you're the most naturally get. He's like, you had the most talent on this team. He's like, I you should be Jimmy better. Me. He's like, Wiggins is most. He's like, freak athlete, like naturally gifted dude. He's like, but I'm better than them both because I work harder, and that's what it, it boils down to. Like we're seeing true work ethic uh, embodied. But one of the things I can't wait to see in this, and I think it's on par for next week, is definitely. The um uh, the the Jordan Kobe like I just wanted mm-hmm. to see like what state Jordan was in like kind of like in terms of Tail stats end. yeah what kind of stature he was in once you know Kobe was entering the game and you know just kind of the interaction I mean it was so cool that they kept all this film uh in the yeah. archives for so long and they're letting us see it you know yeah it was it's it was they they really lucked out because I got to interview David Stern and Kobe before this mm-hmm. before uh, both of them passed so it was kind of it's it's gonna be interesting to see obviously we saw some of David Stern uh, but it'd be interesting to see uh, Kobe in this next episode if that's the direction they're going in uh, but yeah what about the Rodman stuff what did you think of that Ooh, man see a Rodman I was always had kind of like a question mark about him like I knew he was kind of an eccentric dude like kind of you know misunderstood. It was really saddening, you know, that seeing that first incident, like knowing that he was that close to suicide, and yeah. I feel like that opens up. Um, I mean, ESPN depicted that beautifully because you kind of see how the paradigm is shifting in terms of there's more mental health awareness out in the world, which it definitely needs to be. And you got guys on the forefront like the the Kevin Loves, like especially for NBA, kind of being an ambassador for that. So that was a good moment to see us. Like, look, man, like these million dollar contracts, the glitter and gold. Still don't, you know, mask the problems people dealing at home. I mean, he was literally, like, that close to killing himself, but he fell asleep with the gun yeah. next to him. You know what I'm saying? So, that was profound to me, and I'm just like, you know, wow. So, it kind of made me a little bit more appreciative, you know, what you have, like, your mental state, like, happy with what you have. And just kind of be, like, a fundamentalist in a way. But Rodman, though, I didn't know he was that damn, like, he was such a, a G. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Vicious, man. Like, I, you know, because... 
people were probably see him like think he's like flamboyant. But I'm like, bro, this dude was with Madonna. Like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? I like Madonna's not all that hot to me, but like that's icon status yeah. in that age. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's like Moroccan with a, the the Beyonce, yeah. or you know what I'm saying? She was like Michael Jackson tier, so that was dope with him. And I like to see the personal the um, the personalization of their relationship between like him and uh, Mike and Scotty. Because remember, everybody was saying like, oh, he's kind of a loose screw everywhere he went. He was like fiery, like you know, getting the fights with his, uh, he was like with the Spurs before. Yeah, and then you know the with, the Detroit, Detroit stuff. Yeah. yeah, Detroit fizzled out, and I, I feel like it, it. It definitely needs to be more uh, GMs like that to you know want to take a chance. It's like all right, everybody's kind of saying this guy's a nut job, but like why well, don't we get down to the bottom mm-hmm. of it? You know, and you put people around people that you know bring the best out of them, and like Scotty and Jordan at that point, all they wanted to do was fucking win. They ain't care if you was. Gay, straight, match, you know, left, yeah. right, you know what and I'm like, saying? Look, and, and the thing that was best about Rodman is, like, he was a veteran at that point. Like, he knew his role, and that was to mm-hmm. just go out there, be the best defender on the floor, and just grab ro- and grab boards, and, and and he did that better than pretty much most of the people in the league could. So, it was a great fit, a great pickup, and obviously, we see them gain... I mean, they wouldn't have probably had as much success as they did without Rodman. Oh, absolutely so. not. I mean... From it just hearing him like kind of break down because growing up like you know I was playing big man coaches always like oh yeah he's like you need to be like the Rodman because you know Rodman was like undersized for his position but when he really broke down the skill and the anticipation to rebound I definitely had more of appreciation for it because I always tried to pride myself and be like a decent rebounder because they're essential like rebounds are extra possessions you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying and you get a dude that can get you 28 rebounds and he don't care, give a fuck about scoring. Like, that's, that's love, you know what I'm saying? And how he's breaking down the documentary, he's like, oh, I know if it clicked here, I go here. Yeah, he would get the angles there. down of it. And that's real, because, I mean, rebounding is all anticipation, so, like, hearing it from him, like, just pure skill guru, because a lot of these guys are seven yeah, feet. it's really anticipation <laughs> and positioning. That's really, like, and if you can do both of those things and know from the angle that the ball is going at where it's yeah. going to bounce, that, that can get you an extra two or three rebounds and probably just exactly. at least. And I like I want to herald more players like him. Like, cause recently I don't know it's a little bit off topic, but I've been hating. Well, not really hating, but I really don't like how I feel like Draymond's been trying to like hot take himself into like legend status. Like talking about like oh like our pick and roll, we we would have dominated Shaq or you know how they're like trying to place him with these. They, like, they wouldn't have had the size to defend Shaq. That's the problem. Yeah, one of the sizes defend Shaq, and it's like tangibly. Draymond is not at the same level as Robin. Like he's not ne- nowhere near the same rebounder, not the same like defender on ball. He's a better Draymond passer. is Draymond's a great off ball defender. He's a guy who can sit back, be the anchor of your defense, jump passing lanes, yeah. anticipate the screens where they come there, a hard hedge. And he does good at what he does, but I'm just like dudes like Robin, that's where you're talking about the he does the shit, he does the ugly stuff that no one else wants to do. Yeah. Like he will he'll throw the elbow and that guy driving to the right. He'll be that off ball pest to just make sure this dude doesn't get the ball, you know, and he's gonna clear the glass for him. And that was such a, a dope element for that team to have. Yeah. And for them to not even look at that position like, Oh, let's get an offensive big man for like crossing all like, oh, let's go get a Robin. Because that definitely added that added, you know, kind of that tough blue chip element to their team. Then adding to Ron Harper. Remember, Jordan was talking about in that uh, uh, they were playing the Cavs. Um, I think that was the game before the sh- it was the shot. He was breaking down the shot. Mm-hmm. And um, even Ron Harper, they were talking about they were in a timeout huddle 
Um, yeah. And and they had they they was like Ron Harper went to his coach was like coach I got MJ. And then when he broke down the assignments, he was like Elo, like Craig Elo. He's like, we're going to put him on MJ. And then MJ, on the other side of the coin, when he was, you know, having his dialogue about it, he was talking about, like, how soon as he saw, he's like, oh, he's like, they put Elo on me. He's like, but he's like, Harper was really at me on the game. Yeah. And then he's like, and, and then Harper's reaction, he's like, he's like, I got Elo on him. He's like, man. This. <laughs> yeah, and it's like kind of funny because like yeah. who knows like, that moment could like you don't even him. realize that's going through his head at the time you're just watching like as a spectator you wouldn't even have noticed like any of that kind of conflict like had they not brought it up in this documentary like when you watch the clip you're like man like yeah. and if you even watch the context of that game I guess too but um, yeah the, the Ron Harbor stuff was interesting. Uh, and then just how they became teammates later. You know right. what I'm saying? So you hit this epic shot on them, send them home. The same thing with Robin, though. I mean, they played... Robin beat them two times in a row in the late 80s in the playoffs, and they had a lot of hatred towards him, and the next thing you know, he's on the team. I know. But uh, the last thing I want to talk about is the handshaking between uh, um, the the Pistons and the Bulls, when the Bulls finally beat mm. the Pistons. Yeah, uh, and they're they're the lack or the lack thereof handshaking, and like it's kind of interesting, like how we would probably never see something like that happen again. Like most likely, I mean, you never know. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's like sportsmanship has become so much more emphasized, I think, in today. And it's, I mean, obviously that rivalry was different. Those two teams hated each other, and yeah. the fact that the Pistons got swept in that series was just had to be pretty heartbreaking, but. Yeah, I mean the thing is about it, like when it die, like you know when the when the when the horn blows, it's on, and when the horn blows, it's off. I mean, even if you still got animosities to do, you know, like personally, like yeah. even you use the handshake line to tell them you don't fuck with them. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, oh, like, all right, good game. I'm see you next year. You know, or whatever. But I, I definitely do feel like the walking off is a little catty, especially like yeah. since. They were on the Bulls were on the receiving end of their ass whoopings and still lost with grace, you know, won with humility, shaking their hands. And, you know, I know ESPN has curated this documentary, but you know, they we're we're not getting all the uncut stuff that goes between them. You know, you don't know what's yeah. said. I'm pretty I imagine uh, to a a rivalry from Jordan yeah. Would, yeah, leads you to think. I imagine a rivalry that heated definitely has some stuff we don't know about. Right. Uh but, you know, Sometimes I, I like some people. They try to uh, character assassinate sometimes in uh, instances like this. I'm like, but honestly, I, I've definitely been on the receiving end of some losses. Where I didn't feel like talking to nobody, touching nobody, and it's I feel worst, like, yeah. and I feel like that's a warranted feeling. Like that's natural. That's organic. Like losing sucks. Like you know, what I'm saying people are going to feel that. But you know, you're in a professional realm. Sportsmanship, optics are a big thing. So. um and you obviously, know, like if, looking back, they should have shook if you hands. Give the media but, a mile, an inch, they'll take a mile. Like, exactly, and that's the It was blown out of proportion then, and I can only imagine what it, what the reception oh, something like that would be on Twitter, on NBA Twitter nowadays. And that's the thing too is like that probably happened back then. It was in the articles, but like now we see something. Oh, minutes after, oh, it's on my Twitter feed. Oh, yeah. dang, it's on IG. Now it's on the talk show. Now it's in an article. You know what I'm saying? There's definitely way more mediums for like stuff to travel and like for people to try to match their own interpretation of it and, like, try to stir the narrative. But, I mean, at the time, like, you know, you should have shook their hand. Like, you, you've been whooping their ass. I like that. <laughs> yeah, like, for real. Like, at this point, I'm like, oh, good game. You know, you earned it. But, um, 
Yeah, it wasn't wasn't too significant. It was definitely interesting. I mean, cause I, I like I, like we talked about earlier, we like seeing real rivalry. We know mm-hmm. that was real emotions between them two teams, and I want to see something like that. Yeah, like, I maybe hope that, with the Cavs Warriors, we got a little bit of that, but not really to the extent. Yeah, of and then just, really blowing up, and just the fact that like. It lost its pureness in the rivalry once KD was inserted. Right, and like I 100 agree. That and like as a GM, okay, like you know, if I'm if I'm fielding free agents and KD wants to come here, I'm not telling them no. So from a business standpoint, I understand the Warriors, but in terms of the spectator, in terms of the merit of the rivalry and the dynasty, that definitely was a cloud to it. And that's why I, I just kind of like seeing this documentary is great because. It just feels like organic hoops. Like it's just yeah. like nostalgic and that's organic what, and, hoops. Like, and, the, and that point that you make about the Warriors and Cavs is so frustrating now because you see the season was the most wide open the NBA has been in probably a decade. Mm-hmm. Where you just there was probably three or four teams from the East and three or four and five or sixteen from the West that you could see going to the finals at the beginning of the season. Like and there's very rare that you see that. I mean, for the past years we had seen Warriors, 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 and now the West is just wild, wild West. Like you don't really know. It could be the Rockets. Maybe you could go on a run in the playoffs. Who knows? Or you know the um, the Nuggets or uh, some of those other teams. You know yeah. you can see going on a run and possibly doing something. And then obviously in the East you got the Bucks and the Sixers and the and the Raptors who were surprisingly great this year. And um, yeah, you know it, it's just a shame because this was going to be a really awesome playoffs and we just kind of gotten robbed of it and who knows if it's even going to happen it was the only like so I have two takeaways the good thing about all this we're about to see like once basketball resumes hopefully we can see a healthy John Wall we can see yeah. a, healthy, a healthy Clay Thompson hopefully he doesn't a healthy KD healthy Kyrie so this is like an extended like vacation for like because I mean think about it what when's the last time you think of an NBA season everybody just entered day one all healthy yeah like I mean no, it's huge like, for my Sixers because I'll tell you what this this core team was huge for the Sixers because uh, a lot because Ben was hurt Joel was hurt mm-hmm. the team was struggling and like if the playoffs end up doing end up happening in like you know some off gym it could be big because the Sixers were one of the worst road teams in the NBA this year mm-hmm. and so if they can uh, be playing in an empty gym maybe that could help them you know <laughs> yeah. focus a little <laughs> I, bit more I remember that taking years <laughs> so. no but yeah that and uh but I definitely liked the the parody where the league was honestly I was kind of I've always thought the West was like, and even before, like the West traditionally in my upbringing has always kind of been the most open conference. Yeah, I mean, we're, I mean over years we're one through eight seeds, we're all winning fifty games, so that showed that. But this year, I felt like because I feel like the past years in the East, we've seen the East so top heavy, and then the rest not really, you know, measure up. I feel like it was the opposite for the West. The only real contenders I saw at West were both LA teams. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, I, I can't. Like I can't even. Lakers, right? I can't even form my lips to say Rockets because I mean that's Harden and Westbrook in their first year. Yeah. Like, I look. I, the I, no center. Yeah. I don't like that centerless basketball. But the bottom half of those teams, like the Pelicans or the Mavericks, those are teams that I don't think they would have upset anybody. Like I mean, they they wouldn't upset like a Lakers or a Clippers, but. They'll they can sneak into a second round, maybe yeah, make it a harder like series. A, I thought they'd be like a, a seven or eight seed. Uh, the the um, Mavericks and the uh, Pelicans. Yeah, whatever. the Pelicans ended up slipping down to like ten. I think like the Kings were I, like nearing on it because at that point, like post All Star break, I really thought the Pelicans 
just off health wise, I mean Zion was getting more minutes. I thought they were gonna move, um, push to that AC, but then they dropped some they dropped some they dropped some terrible games. I mean they lost to the they lost to the Timberwolves, I think, without Cat. And I remember because yeah. it was a uh, game. Yeah. That game, the over under was ridiculously set. It was like at two forty seven. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like two forty seven for an NBA game? I was like, I'm taking the under. <laughs> and then lo and behold, not it was it was like more. It was like two fifty seven or something. I'm just like, lo and behold, not only did the Pelicans lose, but the over the, the, the over hit. Yeah, and they, I think they went to OT, which was even worse. But anyway, but uh, but the East was real interesting to me in terms of. Candidates, because obviously way more the, interesting. Than yeah, because the, the Bucks is illustrious as they are as that one seed. They, they got are, worse. The fastest, the fastest team to clinch. I still think they're as just as vulnerable as years past. Mm-hmm. Last year was probably one of their best years to do it. I think they still had uh, Miritich there. Let's up crap the bed in the playoffs as usual. Yeah, I mean, like I mean, they choked against the Celtics the first year, like you know, when Game Terry seven, the Terry yeah. Rozier Tatum run was happening. Then last year, you're up 2-0 with home court advantage in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. And you lo- that, and you yeah. lose four straight to the Raptors. And this year, I saw glimpses, like when I think one of the most recent matchups before closings, the uh, the Heat had played the Bucks. I think, and they played them on the road, and they whooped them. Yeah, like, and I, watch, yeah I remember watching that game at a bar. Yeah. One of my dark horse teams in the East were the Heat because... I liked the Heat a lot. I loved to be a four seed. I loved how they were constructed, and I felt like yeah, like they were really good at home, which is a good selling point for come playoffs. But another aspect was their defensive adaptability. They could play and scheme against almost any team. I, mean, bam, I saw fantastic. I saw them run a, a zone against your Sixers, and literally they were down eight, and then ended up going up fifteen on one run. So like. And Spolstra doesn't get enough credit as no, a good he's coach a great as he coach. is. He's a great coach. I've he's honestly him. like one of the best coaches in the East. I mean, because from he's all tough. from all stages, like the D Wade to the Bron, and even the post Bron, post D Wade, they still remain relevant. You mm-hmm. know, and um, I was really enthused to watch them. The Celtics were getting good at a great time. Tatum was starting to erupt. It's something about the Celtics these past few years. It's like they're they're like the theme is like next man up. It's like they, their team shows you a better version of themselves when it's a key injury. Because mm-hmm. uh, it was like while Kemba went down, Tatum went on a tear. I'm yeah. talking like yeah, averages damn near 30 in that span. And it was the same thing. Like when Kyrie got hurt, you saw more of a Terry Rozier, more of a Tatum. Like it's something about that team. It's just like their depth. Uh, but a, a question mark I always had with them was their center. I didn't yeah, really like Yeah, Daniel Tyson actually had a pretty decent year. A lot better than I thought he was going to be. Uh, but, for them, but he's best served like if he's your starter, he's like a C plus best, right? You know, yeah, like he's he fine. comes he off the bench, that's an A plus big, like that's yeah. an A plus seventh, eighth man in your rotation or six, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the East was real interesting to me. I was really interested. I mean, that Oladipo was getting back healthy. I mean, you can never count them out. Brogdon was a great pickup for the for the Pacers. Sabonis, All Star, you know. Turner's had his struggles this season, but he, you know he's usually a positive. Um, they were good. Uh, I, re- I mean, my Sixers have been disappointing. And even the Raptors too. What they Toronto man? What they, they did fantastic. without Kawhi, like seeing the more ball. Because that's the one thing. It's like sometimes like the addition by subtraction works because somebody gets more ball share. And the thing yeah, with and, with, like, and the thing, thing and the thing with Kawhi last year, Kawhi is not a dominating ball share as like a Bron. Like you know, what I'm saying he's not a primary. No, he's not a playmaker, yeah. It was so many times last year. I'm watching that Warrior series. 
like they'll they'll have like five straight possessions or like you know they go down the floor. Kawhi don't touch the ball for like four or five possessions, and that's not a bad thing. You know what I'm saying? And it alludes back to what we were talking about the essence, off of the it. essence of team basketball, where you're using your primary guy, but you're using him as in more of a team efficiency, so your team can be greater. Mm-hmm. So like when they acquire like the Mark Gasol midseason, like that was a great pickup, you know, in the resign. Dude, and that and Mark Gasol was huge for them in that series against the Bucks because they just would, they did the smartest thing they could, which was just load the paint. They had Gasol and Siakam and Ibaka yep. just cover the hoop and force Giannis, dare Giannis to shoot. Dare all the other Bucks to shoot, and that's how they beat him in four games in a row. It was great game planning by Nick Nurse, and Nick Nurse is probably my choice for Coach of the Year this year just for the what he has done with the Toronto team that, personally, I was not very high on coming into this season. Yeah, I definitely thought they were going to fall off a little bit, but I think out of the last Raptors teams that we've seen, I think the piece that just didn't work out that well, even though he was good, was the DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. As good as he was, he was not a player that was going to take you over the top. Yeah. And honestly, I think they're in a better position now as constructed with the Kyle Lowry, Van Fleet, and Siakam kind yeah. of big three rather than that DeRozan because Siakam, oh, totally. Siakam opens up the, the game for you a lot more. You know, he, he's a rangy defender. He can face up. He can post up from the high post, low post. He still can shoot the three. You know, he gives you a, a different dynamic to that offense. The thing, thing is, DeRozan, he, like, he just, he would have been really good, like, 10 years ago. But, like, his, you know, he just takes too many mid-rangers now. <laughs> like, he's just, yeah. like, and that's.